Please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 15. Last week in chapter 14, we saw Abram going out to battle to redeem his nephew Lot and his family from the hands of the armies of a man named Kedor Laomer. You know, this week I was looking on the internet at a list of the most popular baby names by state, and Kedor Laomer was not one of them. So... But it's kind of funny, there was only about, what, eight different names in every state. You know, they're just, everybody's using those names, Liam and Noah, Olivia. But Kedor Laomer was the king of Elam. And we saw, though, how after Abram, his men and his allies had won the victory in this battle, that the king of Sodom, who had fled in the face of the battle, came to Abram hoping to get some of his possessions back that he had lost to the king of Elam and his armies. And then we saw where Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of peace that I stressed several times last week, where he appeared to Abram and offered Abram bread and wine. And Abram in uh, return gave a tithe of all the spoils of the battle to Melchizedek. And then we studied a little deeper into just who Melchizedek might have been or was, however you want to look at it. And uh, if you want that, if you want to hear it, that teaching is available on our website and on iTunes and such. But the story of Abram continues in verse one here of chapter 15. And it says, after these things, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So to me, it's kind of interesting that the Lord speaks this to Abram. Uh, This is Abram having a vision. And in that vision, he is hearing the Lord speak. And the Lord says to him, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So this verse, to me, as I studied it, begs the question, what did Abram have to be afraid of? Why did the Lord tell him not to be afraid here? But you know, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the life of Abram, isn't there? And we've seen that thus far. He had just come out of a battle here in which he and his allies were victorious in this battle. And maybe Abram would now be a marked man, in a sense, right? Maybe the battle wouldn't be over, who knows? But there's far more going on in the life of Abram here as well, because sometime back we studied where he had uprooted from his homeland and went to a place, to a land where he was a stranger, And of course, we know from our studies that he went to this place, how? He went by faith, not knowing where he was going. He had no idea where the Lord was taking him. And it's not easy to do that kind of thing. It's not easy to step out by faith. Walking by faith can present 
physical challenges in our lives and can, you know, really throw us for a loop sometimes, right? And in in addition to all of this, you know, all of this has happened over the years here in Abram's life, but he's now an old man and he's beyond the years of childbearing as is his wife Sarai, but God has also promised Abram a child. He has promised him that he will be a father of many nations. All of this, I'm sure, is putting a huge weight on the shoulders of Abram, and he was very concerned about all of this. But the Lord God reminds Abram here in verse 1 that he is his shield, that he The Lord himself is his exceedingly great reward. And Abram is an example for you and me today. We've seen that as we go along, but he's an example of a man that God is calling for him to live his life by faith. The Lord is comforting Abram here in this vision, but he is also, in a sense, challenging Abram to trust in the Lord. Trust that the Lord won't let him down. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. You can trust in that. Okay? And the Lord is our shield today as well. He is our exceedingly great reward. You see, we too are strangers in a strange land, or at least we ought to be living like that. We ought to be living like we're just passing through, right? But when we do live out our faith, the Lord helps us through all of the battles that we may face in life. And He reminds us that there is a reward waiting for us after this life as well, isn't there? And that is eternal life in heaven. Even though there may be times in this life where we may be afraid and we may be insecure in one way or the other, but the Lord is our shield. He is our exceedingly great reward, and we can trust in Him. So we must take comfort from the Word of the Lord, as Abram did in this vision. He took comfort from the Word of the Lord, and we must press on in the faith. And God knows that we are weak. Abram here is just a man. He's not superhuman. And in verse 2, he's wondering how all of this is going to work out. Let's read verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Now, before I comment here on what Abram says here, I think it's important that we learn something from how this conversation with Abram and the Lord is unfolding here, how it came about. Again, this is Abram seeing a vision. That's what's taking place. And in the vision, the word of the Lord is coming to him. And this is something that I want to exhort you all in today. And and that is that I want to encourage you to take the time to just sit before the Lord in prayer and in reverence. Maybe you already do, but if you don't, make sure that you set aside some time just for seeking the Lord, some quiet time with the Lord. Abram, a man of faith, had a relationship 
with the Lord our God. And in this relationship, he could be real with the Lord as we saw him do here, right? He could express that he was afraid. He could express that he had doubts, that he didn't understand how any of this stuff was going to work out. He was real with the Lord. And we can sit before the Lord in prayer and we can walk through this life with the Lord. We can walk through in a real sense, just be real with him. He knows we are weak, right? And the Lord does want to speak to us. But Abram took the time to seek the Lord. That's the key. He was before the Lord here. Again, do you ever just take that time and sit before the Lord and meditate on his word and think about his goodness and be thankful for what he's given you and such, right? And I say meditate, meaning that you're focused on speaking to him and focused on his word. Right? You cry out to Him from within your soul. You talk with Him about your daily life, about your marriage, about everything, everything that goes on in your life. And above all else, you seek Him to know what His will for your life is. I find that as I do this, the Word of the Lord comes to me. He's not telling me anything new. When I get before him, in other words, he's not telling me that nothing that's something that's not already in his word. Right. He just speaks to me in accordance with his word, his written word, with that which he's already written. And the more you put the word of the Lord in your heart, the more you will hear the voice of the Lord in your life. King David said, thy word have I hid in my heart, O God, that I might not sin against you. So we have to have a foundation of the word of the Lord in our heart. And when we do, we'll we'll tend to hear the word of the Lord speaking back to us in circumstances and situations, right? And the Lord does still give visions. I have visions from the Lord from time to time. These are just mental pictures taking place inside of my head. And through these mental pictures, I'll seek the Lord as, what, is he, what are you showing me, Lord? And again, in accordance with His Word, He'll show me what He wants me to know for that given time, right? And again, let me be sure that I'm stressing that this is all in accordance with His Word. What is written in the pages of his Bible, okay? I'm not hearing new revelations from the Lord that I'm going to go out and start a religion on or anything like that. It all goes back to be everything based upon his word, right? But what has happened over the years is if you look at Christianity, you, there are those that take the spirit of the Lord And then they go and they bark like dogs in church, in gatherings. This happens, okay? And they say this is the Spirit of the Lord leading them in that, right? Or they go into fits of laughter and the whole congregation just rolls in laughter. You can go on and watch, uh, I can't think of his name, but one of those TV guys, you know, that does that, that kind of stuff. And all that, right? So, but what has happened though, unfortunately, within Christianity, is we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We've said, we don't want to be anything like that because it's not in the Word of God, but yet we, so we throw out all things spiritual. And we throw out visions. 
And we throw out hearing from the Lord. And we throw out dreams that the Lord can give us and speak to us through and in, right? We throw it all out because of these people that do the wacky stuff, right? But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If it's in His Word and it's in accordance with His Word, we can live it. And we got to walk by faith and do it in that way, right? So there can be nothing added, though, to the Word of God today. So when I say that I hear from the Lord or I see visions, it's always in accordance with His Word. But it is personal for me during those times when I get before the Lord. But you see, if you don't take the time to be before the Lord, you won't know these intimate and personal times with Him. You won't have them. And it's okay to just be before the Lord, you know, as we see Abram doing in verses 2 and 3, and be real before the Lord, right? Express your heart. There's no, there's no special prayer language. You don't have to pray with these and thous and such, right? It's just you. It's just you open before the Lord. And as we go through this temporary life and as we walk by faith, there is much that will come upon that sometimes we just don't understand. We just don't understand what the Lord is doing or why this or that is happening in our life in this way, right, or that way. There are a lot of times when we're just not seeing it the way that the Lord is seeing it, but He will comfort us through those times. He'll be our shield, our exceedingly great reward, and He'll tell us not to be afraid. You see, Abram here in verses 2 and 3 is doing, though, what all of us do when we're struggling with things in this life from time to time. Abram is judging what the Lord God can do based on what he can see with his own eyes and understand in accordance with his present day circumstances. In other words, he's looking at his life and saying, I'm an old man. How is this going to be? And all of us can do this, right? Can, can fall into that kind of thing. Abram is expressing here that it sure doesn't appear to him that the things that the Lord has promised are going to work out the way the Lord says they will. And Abram, we've seen, has already tripped up in life. Remember he made the plan when he went to Egypt that Sarah was his sister? And we'll see as we go on that there's going to be another plan devised to try and get the will of the Lord done. You know, right? You see, but we err greatly today. And this is why we go back to the Old Testament like this. We go to our Bibles because it's written for our learning. But we err greatly today when we look only at the outward And we don't remember how great is our God, how great He is. It's so easy to look at our present. It's so easy to look at our past circumstances. And then based on this information, we predict our future. Based on what we know today and based on what we've seen happen yesterday, we predict the future. And we say, well, I know It's going to be like this. But the Lord doesn't work in this way. He doesn't see as we see. But yet so many times, rather than moving forward in faith, we stand still in fear. But the Lord wants to speak to us today. 
He wants to comfort us. But we must be willing to spend time to seek Him or spend time in seeking Him because He is a rewarder. The Bible says He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That provides some insight, that verse. He is a rewarder of those who do what? Diligently seek Him. And Abram was a man who sought after God. He didn't always make the right choices, like I said, but he, and he tripped up. But he pressed on in the faith. He continued on. So Abram is conversing back and forth with the Lord here in this vision. And verse 4 continues and says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one... So this Eliezer of Damascus that Abram brings up right back in verse 2, the Lord tells him, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So notice what the Lord is saying to Abram here. You will have a child that will come from your own body. It's not going to be Eliezer. This is not the child of promise. The Lord makes it real clear to Abram that this child will come from him. And I'm, and I'm sure Abram is still having a hard time with this since he's an old man. But again, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. And there's nothing too difficult for God. No circumstance of your life is beyond his ability to change but we must be willing to seek Him and trust Him and walk by faith in Him. And I'll just pause for a minute because when I said that, that no circumstance of your life is beyond His ability to change, I thought of those we prayed for this morning. And we we need to say, man, He just looks too far gone. We shouldn't say that. But instead, we should take it in prayer and keep it in prayer because the Lord is able to do it. Right? And He wants us to be a people that seeks Him in prayer. Not just for our behalf. Not just fill my bank account, Lord. Give me this car, Lord. Give me this. No. That's praying amiss, as James says, that you might consume it upon your own lust. Praying for others and praying for their spiritual needs and the needs of our own soul. That's how the Lord wants us to pray. In Jeremiah 32 and verse 27, the Lord God said to the prophet Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. He asked Jeremiah, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too difficult for God? That's what the Lord God asked Jeremiah. And let me ask you something here this morning. In your daily life, do you walk with that mindset? In other words, do you live your life with the understanding that there is nothing too difficult for the Lord. And he told Jeremiah as well, he said, I am the God of all flesh, right? He made us, right? So therefore, he is able to do anything and everything in our lives. He's the God of all creation. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, so he can do anything. But we can't set our minds on being grumblers and complainers. So many people live their lives today by Murphy's Law rather than by the truths of Scripture, right? The law of God. You know Murphy's Law, right? Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And you know, 
in this infallible world in which, or fallible world, I should say, in which we live, there is a bunch of bad things that can happen and do happen in this world because we live in a fallen world. But what we learn from Scripture is that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. We are a people of hope. We are a people that there is a promise for us. We have a God. We have our Lord, our shield, our exceedingly great reward. And we are to seek Him. In the face of what looks bleak to you, in the face of what might seem impossible to you, God calls us to seek Him and then trust in Him. To live contrary to what our eyes see. To live contrary to what we can comprehend and understand. I always quote Proverbs 3, right? 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. So in everything you do, acknowledge the Lord. Every circumstance that arises, everything that you face in your life, acknowledge the Lord. The Lord God is driving this point home in the life of Abram. And verse 5 continues and says, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So as Abraham's going through this, how can all this be? The Lord makes the picture even bigger to him now. Takes him outside and he shows him the sky. And he says, it's bigger than you think it's going to be. It's more than you can imagine, Abram. Right? But what a moment in the life of Abram. The Lord makes it clear what he will do through the life of Abram. And Abram believes in the Lord. In other words, Abram takes the Lord at his word here. Today... Will you decide to take the Lord at His word? Will you decide to, first of all, start taking the time to seek the Lord? You see, when we gather like this, and and I do a teaching, right? It should be more than this, right? It should be, we hear from the word of the Lord. I always tell you, filter it, right? Study the word of God for yourself. Put it through some filter, what you hear me tell you. But when you do, if you find some meat, if you find something good out of it, well, then take it back and start living in your daily life. Start actually living, right? So take that time. Will you decide to take the Lord at His word? Will you decide to start seeking the Lord first of all? Spending time before the Lord in prayer and in Bible reading. Because the Lord counts this faith as righteousness. The Lord counts faith in Him as righteousness. It's really that simple. But faith does require action. Let's mark this page and turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And we'll start reading in verse 14. James 2, 14. 
What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? See, so many people today will get confused with the end of verse 14 there where it says, can faith save him? And think that it's talking about eternal salvation. But that's not what we're talking about here. You must stay in the context here. And the context here is in verse 15 and 16 where it says, if if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So in other words, the only thing that's going to save that person from being destitute of clothing and and food is if you do something about it. That's what's going to get them out of that circumstance. Verse 17, let's read on. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So James is quoting someone here that might say, you have faith and I have works. As if those two can be separate, he's saying, right? But, but James says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, you can't show your faith without actually doing something. You've got to live it out. Your faith has to be expressed in some way, in prayer. You're a person of prayer. You're a person who seeks the Lord. You're a person who reads the word. You're a person that reaches out and helps those in in need. That's faith. That's faith in act. That's what real faith is, right? Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So in a sense, right, big deal that you say you believe in God. How do you live? The devil believes in God. (laughs) He knows God's real. The demons know, right? But do you want to know, verse 20, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So are we getting the point of these scriptures here? Just believing in God is not all there is to a life of faith. You need to be doing things in accordance with your life of faith. Practical things that actually help people. Now listen, I am a a person that believes in the grace of God, right? But I believe that grace has been carried within Christianity just too far, in a sense. In other words, people think, I'm saved by grace, I sit around, do nothing, or I'm saved by grace, I do whatever I want to do, I live however I want to live, and I'm saved by grace. I talked to a friend this week who said that he was talking to a woman, him and his wife, and this woman is you know, just openly admits she's very sexually, you know, involved and just, you know, just out there in the world and her life is a mess and she's on drugs and she's drinking. But she said to him, I am saved. I am saved. I know I'm saved. I am saved by the grace of God. You know, so and this is kind of it's unfortunate, but this is what a this doctrine of grace that's outside of the Bible has done in our world today. It says, do whatever you want. Live however you want. 
But the Bible says that we have to have a faith that produces works, that does good things, right? Yes, it's God's grace that has been extended to the whole world for salvation. That is God's grace. In other words, the world didn't do nothing. Mankind can't do anything to earn salvation. God extended it. But then after that, there's something required. What's required? Repentance is required. A person has to repent. That's required, right? That's kind of left out of a lot of churches today, that part. Because if you leave out the repentance, you can fill the seats, right? If you leave out that you're supposed to live a certain way, the church will grow big, right? And then we can have it paid for and all pastor's salary and everything like that can be done all because of that. But when you add repentance and when you teach like what I'm teaching today, that you've got to live out your faith, right? You get a smaller congregation. <laughs> Just ends up that way, right? We saw back in Genesis 15 that Abram believed in the Lord and, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. But as we expound on the scriptures, we see that there's far more to faith than just that, right? There's the actual works, right? Verse 21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? So we haven't got to that part of Genesis yet, have we? But, you know, we will, we will get there soon enough, right? But we'll see that this was another act of faith by Abraham. See, verse 22, do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. So you see the action of Abraham's faith, Right? It was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Right? So faith is how we must come to the Lord today. Faith is how we approach God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's the verse I was quoting earlier, Hebrews eleven six. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That word diligent implies that you've got to put some effort into it, to seeking the Lord. Okay? That's what he wants. He wants our faith to be real. He wants us to be real with him, but he wants our faith to be real too. So we're seeing a few things here this morning, aren't we? For one, we come to God by faith, not doubting who He is and what He is able to do. Secondly, we are to seek God, spend time before the Lord in prayer and in His Word. And then thirdly, we are to do works that display that we are people of faith. And then this, as verse 22 uh, there says, our faith is made perfect. It's complete. That's the completion of your faith, right? It kind of seals the deal with your faith, right? Because we are both walking in the Lord by faith and doing works of faith. So again, I'll exhort you, make your faith 
practical. Do things in your life that show you're a person of faith. Prayer, Bible reading, witnessing for Jesus, sharing your faith with others, finding brothers and sisters in Christ that are in need and helping them, praying for them when they're going through something, being there for them, right? These are all practical examples of how we can show our faith. And as we flip back now to Genesis chapter 15, the Lord continues to speak to Abram. And he says in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. So the Lord's still reminding Abram here, this is who I am. Remember me, this is what I've done. And this is what I keep doing, right? And Abram responds in verse 8. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So here's Abram just being real again. Come on, God, how shall I know? Lord, how shall I know? So he said to him, Bring me three-year-old, a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these things to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away." So what we're seeing here is Abram gets instruction from the Lord here and he obeys these instructions, right? In one way, it's just that simple. Abram just obeys what the Lord tells him to do. But there's far more for us to learn from what we're seeing here in these verses. Because you see, back in in those days, contracts were made between people by doing this kind of thing, sacrificing animals, what they would do is to make what they would do to make a deal is they would cut the animal in half and lay the two halves separate from each other on the ground. Okay, think about our, our modern day vernacular. Right? Let's say I want to sell you something that belongs to me, and I say to you, "Hey, Chris, I'll I'll cut you a deal." Right? We get that from that. Right? I'll cut you a deal. Right? If you look down for a moment at verse 18 of Genesis 15 here, it says, on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So that word made there in verse 18 is a Hebrew word that actually means cut. So the Lord cuts a deal with Abram. So again, back in those days, the custom was that the deal was made by animals being sacrificed, cut into and laid on the ground. If you want to see an example of this, just make a note for yourself to go ahead and read Jeremiah chapter 34, and there's an example of this in there, right? After the animals were cut in in two, the two agreeing parties, right, would then walk between the two parts of the animals to seal the deal. This contract, in, in that sense, was written in blood. Right? It was a serious deal. There was no turning back. The two parties involved in the deal would join hands and walk between the pieces as if to say, may God do so to me if I don't fulfill my obligations with this covenant. That was the way they did it. May God do this to me. May I be cut in two 
if I don't come through on this deal and do what I'm supposed to do. By walking between the pieces of the dead animals, the two parties were, in essence, sealing the deal. Again, you can go to Jeremiah and read that. They, they were formally agreeing to the terms of the covenant and making it officially valid and binding. We, of course, use contracts and lawyers today. Thank God, right? We don't have to do this to make a deal. But Abram here in this chapter, again, he has doubts and, and God is assuring him, God makes this deal with Abram. But notice there in verse 11 that the vultures are coming down on the carcasses of these animals. You see, when you get serious with God and you seek God and He is working in your life and, and showing you that He is your shield, that He is your exceedingly great reward, you can know for sure that the vultures, that Satan, if you will, will come in and try and steal what God's doing in your life. But you must be diligent to resist the devil. And Abram was diligent to shush them away, to keep them out of there. The Lord has come that we might have abundant life, but there is a thief who comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But let's read on here, verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So while this is a very powerful thing that God is showing Abram here, he is showing Abram the future of his descendants. And it's scary what Abram is seeing here in this that the Lord is showing him in this dream. The children of Israel would indeed go on to be strangers in a land that was not theirs, as verse 13 says there. That land would be the land of Egypt, where they would be slaves and they would be afflicted for 400 years. But as verse 14 says, God would judge that nation that afflicted the children of Israel. And the children of Israel would be brought out of Egypt by the man Moses and they would have great possessions. And in verse 15 there, the Lord God tells Abram that he is going to die in peace as a very old man. But the problems for the children of Israel would not yet be over after they came out of Egypt as verse 16 tells us. So the Lord is showing Abram the future of his descendants. And the children of Israel would go on to still be persecuted, even as they are in many ways in our present day. But let's keep in mind what's going on now in this story. Back in verses 7 and 8, if you look back there, the Lord said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of, the, uh, the, out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So the Lord is answering that question of Abram and showing him how they will inherit the land. They're going to go through all this first. 
all this is going to happen. Right? And a large portion of all this happening is happening while Abram is sleeping here. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Those animals were on the ground. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the uh, Girgasites, and the Jebusites. So, in verse 17, there appears this smoking oven and, and burning torch that pass between those pieces. So this seems, seems kind of strange at first, but in the totality of Scripture, it really isn't all that strange because in the Scriptures, we see God represented by a pillar of fire, for example, that kept the children of Israel warm by night and a cloud that kept them cool by day. And all of this as they wandered through the wilderness after escaping from Egypt. Also, when God was about to enter into a covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai, there was smoke and fire that covered the mountain. Right. So this really isn't all that all that strange. Right. Uh, We're even told in the New Testament that our God is a consuming fire. So fire and smoke often represent it. God in those days. Okay, So what we're seeing here in verse 17, very simply put, is that God himself is passing through the two pieces of the animals. God himself is sealing this deal. He is showing Abram that he will be faithful to his word. He is telling Abram that if he doesn't perform this as he says in the life of of Abram, then God's saying, well, then I fail. But I'm the one that's going to perform this. And of course, we know from the totality of Scripture and from history itself that God did not fail to give this land to the descendants of Abram, nor will he ever fail. God is faithful, and and the land belongs to the descendants of Abram. The descendants that came from his own body and from his wife, Sarah, And all of this happened here while Abram slept. A deep sleep had come over Abram. And that reminds me of that deep sleep that came over Adam when God created Eve. But a covenant here with God was made. And a covenant with God is a a done deal. And God himself did this. Abram wasn't part of the deal in the sense that He had to do something to possess the land. He didn't pass through the parts. The land belonging to the descendants of Israel was a promise of God. And God is the one sealing the deal and fulfilling that promise. Even though all the people listed there in verses 19 through 21 that I read, they would be in the land. And they're still in the land today. But the land belongs to the children of Israel. Even though they're there, the land belongs to the children that came from Abraham and Sarah. They had Isaac and Jacob, right? And 
This is a very contentious and a very hot topic, even in our present day and age. But what God promises, God will perform. What God says will be done. And as I bring this to a close this morning, I will bring you back to the the practical part of it for you and me today. And I will reiterate to you what I've already pretty much said this morning, but be a person of faith. Faith that is evident in your actions, the way you live, what you actually do. Seek God. Be a person of prayer. Be a student of the Bible. Be a disciple of Jesus. Love your neighbor and reach out to the destitute that you come to know in your life. Be a person that does something. Right? Yes, there are times of doubt. And it's hard to believe things sometimes. It's hard to believe what God is doing. And sometimes we lack faith. But God is faithful. And He will do what it is that He wills for your life. But He wants you to both work and rest. Abram worked. He worked to cut up the animals. And he worked to keep the vultures away. But then he rested. And God did His part. And God did what He was going to do. And that was to show Him the promise. And God will fulfill that promise. And again, we have a promise today. And we are to do works of faith until we get to the promised land where we're going, right? So we must do our part, but we must also rest in God and watch the Lord God do His part. Because the Lord is our shield our exceedingly great reward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, God, we have seen Your Word. Your Word is truth. And Lord, really, only our actions would express whether we believe Your Word is truth or not. Only by living in the way that You desire for us to live, in the way that Your Word teaches us to live, That's the only way that that we can testify that we believe that your word is truth. Because if we don't live it out, well, then we must not believe it's truth. Then we would be nothing more than hypocrites in this world. So even God, as I think to pray, increase our faith. Well, yeah, I'll pray that, God, increase our faith. But also, Lord, I know that we have all been given a measure of faith. We have faith. And that there is work for us to do. There are things that we need to step out in. There's a part that we need to play. To be your hands and feet, Lord. To take your love. To take the truth of your word. To the world that is around us, Lord. To the lost, to the dying. Because many people out there, Lord, are are turning to everything else to satisfy. To drugs, to alcohol, to affairs, to to this, that, the other thing, Lord. It goes on and on. And it's all because they don't know that peace. They don't know that you, Lord Jesus, are the King of peace. The King of righteousness. You are our shield, our exceedingly great reward. Lord, may we live in that way. May we be a people of faith. 
And Lord, I would ask for all of us here and for those that are listening worldwide on the internet, Lord, I I ask that you would pour out your spirit, that you would open the eyes of the hearts of the souls of people, Lord. That we would desire to know you more and that we would seek you more. So thank you for this time again, Lord, in your word. We ask your blessing upon our week as we move forward into it. And again, we pray all these things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.